Welcome to Objection to the Rule, uh, Radio Free Brooklyn's Weekend News Hour. I'm Max Carter here with my co-host, Emily Scott. Hello. How are we doing today? We're doing pretty good, I think. And I believe we have another co-host, Violet Barron, on the phone. Violet, are you there? Violet. Hmm. Well, we're going to do some troubleshooting on on that (laughs) and see if we can get her on the line here. Uh, This week, um, we're covering... Everything from New York Democrats pushing to decriminalize sex work in a post-FOSTA-SESTA country to the latest immigration scandal in which 900 people were held for weeks in standing room only facility with 125-person capacity intended for 72-hour detentions. And also Theresa May's uh, exit from Brexit. Uh, We've got a lot on the docket today. Let's kick it off with some local news, though. Yeah, all right. So, uh... There are some New York Democrats who are gearing up to propose a bill decriminalizing prostitution. Um, But I'm going to say sex work, um, as that's the preferred term of sex workers. I'm with it. Yeah. Um, And uh, it's it's following a handful of other states that have been considering similar measures. Um, In the U.S., uh, sex work is currently only legal in a few countries in Nevada, but it is legal in a number of other countries like the Netherlands, Germany, and New Zealand. so this is such an interesting topic. Yeah, I'm a lot to so go over. So glad we're talking about it. Um, so those advocating for the safety of sex workers um, actually fall on both sides of the decriminal decriminalization issue. Mm-hmm. Um, those in favor say it's going to happen, like sex work is going to happen, whether or not it's legal. Right. And the legalization comes with an increased ability to make it safer to regulate the health and safety. Of those involved um, and those opposed say that decriminalization only promote more sex trafficking and exploitation. Right. Um, So how do we feel about it? Well, I mean, I think it's a parallel to so many uh, so many um, controversial topics that we are. um, It's it's a parallel to so many issues that we're talking about here. I mean, anything from marijuana to abortion, uh, so many topics are. Uh, have this same dichotomy where um, some people are saying that the decriminalization uh, will lead to an increase in dangerous circumstances, and others say the exact opposite, that decriminalization will really cut back on uh, the risks in the workplace, will provide people more visibility um, and the ability to approach um, any kind of you know law enforcement if they need to uh, you know, file for harassment or any, you need any help of any sort. Um, and I tend to be on that side of the argument where if you are criminalizing the work that people are doing, they have less uh, recourse to um, find justice um, in situations um, that are super problematic. Um, you know, it it could go either way for sure, um, but I think that uh, history shows that any time that you uh, criminalize something, uh, it it pushes it into the dark. It makes it more uh, risk risky to um, involve yourself with. I mean, what do you think? Yeah, I um, 
I agree. I think, I mean, I'm not involved in sex work and I, I don't really know. And no one's ever talked to me of directly about it, but I've, I've heard, I do like reading a lot about it. Um, I think it's a really interesting issue. And I think um, we can look at the history of um, just banning practices that are considered immoral or whatnot, like a prohibition. Um, we can look at that and like everything, of course, with marijuana right now um, and how, you know, it just drug trafficking and the kind of violence and everything when, when there's a black market for something um, it, it definitely creates a lot of um, unintended consequences. Um, you know, like I, you know, it's not just going to stop people from getting what they want. Um, and a lot of people can get hurt. Um, there's a lot of like dark money that gets involved um, when that sort of thing happens. So I, I do, I do fall in favor of decriminalization. Um, while of course, like, you know, those are the, those are the concern that it will just make it easier to, to have, you know, people be trafficked and exploited. I think it is definitely a concern that people need to be aware of. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, let me just, uh, jump in and say, I think we might have Violet on the phone. Violet, are you there? Mm-mm. Not quite yet. Not Still quite. troubleshooting <laughs> that. Uh, well, I I thought this was also an interesting um, issue. This yes. is also Hi. Hey, Violet. Hi. You're there? Yes. We did it. Are you there? Hello. Hello. Violet. Hello. Oh, you can hear me. Yes, yes we, can, we hear can hear you. you. It's finally happening. <laughs> okay. Your wonderful can voice. Can you hear me? Yes. yes. Hi. Hi. So we're just talking about uh, this new bill um, in New York that is pushing to decriminalize okay. sex work. Um, and I'm sorry, oddly, there is a long delay. Okay, so we'll just be aware of the delay um, and try to uh, bring you into the conversation whenever we can. Uh, I was just about to say that this bill is really interesting in light of uh, the um, FOSTA-SESTA bills that were passed this past year. Um, in terms of how we how uh, sex work is um, oh interesting Violet can you hear we can hear the echo of <laughs> of our own voice yeah are you listening on a speaker okay. I think let's Violet it might make sense to turn you off for the moment yeah Okay. Well, we're going to try again after our yeah. break. Okay, cool. I we'll need to turn off my speaker. <laughs> <laughs> we're, okay. Yeah. We'll try again after the break, maybe. I agree. Turn okay. me off. Okay. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. <laughs> All right. Cool. Pasta Sesta. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, so it's just a very interesting environment uh, at the federal level to be discussing decriminalization. Uh, the Fosta Sesta mm -hmm. bills um, were dealing with um, online uh sex work um saying and they uh criminalize uh people uh looking for um sex workers trying to um access uh sex workers over the internet um in the hopes that it would uh make sex work more safe that it would cut back on sex trafficking um but uh, advocates uh, against FOSTA-SESTA were saying that actually the internet provides a very safe online uh, storefront from which sex workers can operate with a number of uh, checks, um, making sure that they not only were able to 
do some kind of um, background checks on their clients, but also ensure that they could um, uh, uh, meet up with these people at safe places. Mm -hmm. All of these things are now um, not available to them. And people uh, who are in the sex work um, trade are forced back into the streets, back into hotel bars, places where they do not have the same ability to screen their clients or ensure a safe location to Mm -hmm. do their work. Um, So I think that we're going to see a similar um, pushing into the dark of sex workers with uh, the uh, if this decriminalization bill does not pass. Well, they they actually don't expect it to right now. Um, They they are working from what I remember. They're working on a few other measures. There's it's like kind of like it's a whole package of things that they're discussing at the moment. They don't expect it to be fully decriminalized right now or maybe not soon. But the fact that they're talking about it is huge. Um, and then there's there's a few other bills they do expect to, to pass, including um, I'm blanking. I don't remember the exact wording of it, but essentially will decriminalize the standing around in a corner to solicit like customers right, a, as a, a sex a worker. No loitering bill. Right. A no loitering bill. Yeah. That essentially what ends up hap- what has ended up happening with through that is that a lot of um trans people um usually get targeted with that just right. just by standing around in like a skirt or like having right. condoms on them. Um right. and it, it's really yeah, it's become a very much um targeting a a, a vulnerable like a, a vulnerable population gets yeah. targeted through that. Um so that I think they're expecting to pass, but not a full blanket decriminalization. Maybe. Right. And from what I understand, there's also a discussion between a number of different plans. Mm-hmm. Uh, one is considered like the Nordic right. plan. Which Gloria Steinem is a fan of. Yeah. Right. And it's it's just interesting to see um, how this is being discussed as far as like, you know, yeah. we could be like the Nordic countries. Right. Again. And I think, well, I think the Nordic... The Nordic model, I think is what it was called. Yes. It criminalizes those soliciting exactly. prostitutes or sex workers, not the actual sex, sex workers themselves, Yeah, um, which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the other side of it is that um, I think somebody, I think it might have been Gloria Steinem who was mm-hmm. saying we have to uh, decriminalize sex work without, de- without decriminalizing um like pimping yeah. and sex trafficking, yeah, uh, those, which I think yeah. is a really important distinction yeah. here uh, because people who are in sex work uh, are not criminals. They uh, are operating in a very uh, history trade, something that the is... The oldest profession, right. quote unquote. Yeah. yeah, Something that is going to continue, as we said, yeah. uh, whether or not it is legal or decriminalized. Um and these people need to have uh, certain access to rights mm-hmm. and um, the and, ability yeah. to operate uh, within. Without the fear of their own, like, well-being and exactly. safety being. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, right. Be able, yeah, being able to seek out help from governmental authorities or agencies without right. fear of the retribution. Right. Essentially, yeah. So we'll definitely have to keep an eye out, um, not just for this bill, but for how this conversation develops uh, around the state totally. and in the country. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all Violet, right. do we have you on the line again? I think you do. Yes. Okay. Yes. No echo. It's perfect. Amazing. Do you have any thoughts on this before we move on? Yeah. And I think what you're saying is definitely, I definitely agree with what you're saying. Um, I think that 
I think that the stigma is a lot of the biggest problem around sex work right now, sort of. Um, when we when we think about sex work and sex workers, a lot of the time we're thinking about, um, maybe we're thinking about the point of uh, sale, as it were, but we're not really thinking about the circumstances people are in. Um, and the, the other side of that is also, um, I know people who have been involved in sex work, um, not necessarily uh, um, what people think of when they think of sex work, but like mm-hmm. sort of um, domination work and other stuff, things that aren't, um, things that are, that are sort of in that wider world. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot, I mean, like, there's a lot to be said for the, you know, sex work is work um, mentality, the idea that people have a right to earn money and um, separate from moralization. So, like, mm-hmm. right. if people are in danger, and uh, like, as you were saying, Emily, if, if it's a um, sex trafficking or pimping situation, certainly, like, we need to be uh, able to uh, help people in that situation. But I think... People who are adults, people who are consenting on both sides, right? Um, and people who maybe don't have so many options are dealing with disabilities or other um, issues that make it hard to hold a traditional job. I think that's that's a, a good way to stay in um, in the world mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Cool. All right. Actually, I have one more question to ask about this topic since I feel like this is like this is a big one. So. Yeah. Um, decriminalization is kind of like in and of itself has become a movement. It feels like the last years, like most famously with marijuana. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and I wonder, and like now they're talking about like shrooms in Colorado True. or something like that. And I wonder, do you, do you, we see, is there like a kind of a reason why that this is happening now? Um, all these movements are happening to decriminalize these things um, that have long been held as, you know, criminal. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think that it, right off the bat, it's, it's the clear first step towards any legal, uh, movement right. towards legalization. Right. Because right. decriminalization is not legalizing. It's right. kind of, it's this medium place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it sort of allows for the gray area to grow, a movement to incubate, mm-hmm. and for the, uh, the complexities of a move towards legalization to be sort of worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's the, the danger is in those details um, in that with marijuana, for example, uh, as legalization becomes bigger and sort of sweeps across the country, how do we deal with uh, retroactively mm-hmm. um, handling people right. who are In who have been criminalized? Right. right. Yeah, and that's a good point. And I think what it feels like to me is that this this all these movements um, are happening in conjunction with the realization that our prison system is wildly out of control right. and um, dangerous to like our society. You know, yeah. just like how the incarceration rates, and of course, like based on. Um, people of color getting, you know, jailed much more often than, you know, not based on population size. Um, Those sorts of issues all seem to be kind of like like coalescing, I guess, like coming Mm -hmm. together um, at the same time. Definitely. And the other thing, of course, is um, as these things become legal, um, (laughs) the capitalism side of things, Mm -hmm. uh, like we're seeing, starting to see like um, 
giant, huge marijuana companies emerging and sort of taking over the what were the underground and often run by people of color. Um, yeah. Uh, um, you know, yeah. Uh, ways to get yeah. these um, weed and and uh, if prostitution became illegal or if sex work became illegal, it would be another issue. Yeah. One tweet that I thought encapsulated that uh, dynamic very well is uh, somebody said, as soon as the weed st- as the dispensary looks like an Apple store, we need yeah. to release a lot of people from jail. Yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. All right. Great. Okay. So um, next topic on the docket for local news. Um, so the New York City Council is considering legislation that would give almost all New York City workers paid personal time off for any reason. Um, the bill would require private employers with five or more employees or any domestic workers at all. Uh, 10 days of paid time off per year. So the U.S. is currently the only industrialized nation that does not require any paid time off, um, including for holidays. No one's guaranteed paid time off for anything. Um, So why are we as a nation so reluctant to give our workers, like, a good quality of life? (laughs) Which I know is, like, a very pointed question, but that certainly (laughs) feels like that, right? Yeah, no. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think that that it's uh, not an overstatement to put it like that. I I think that we live in a society uh, that really values um, the money that one can make and, um, you know, people's lives are valued that way. What What are you producing? I mean, often the first question we ask is, what do you do as a, you know, what yeah. is the line of work that you're in? Um, life really rude in some places. Some right. Of yeah. yeah. Life is uh, really, um, you know, uh, given a value through what, uh, you're producing. Um, and I think that, you know, vacation time is almost poo-pooed as, mm-hmm. you know, lazy or um, not not valuable um, in a way that uh, employers are being pushed to uh, give, yeah. give it. And what's actually interesting about that note you just said about vacation time is that there are, there are some like, um, you know, like startup-y, like, um, you know, quote-unquote innovative, like, um, models of businesses that give employees unlimited vacation time, theoretically. I'm but ready. When that happens, though, the employees are often uh, more likely to take less vacation time than they used to. Interesting. And it's this, it's not just the employers, it's almost like employees in some scenarios are like, it's like something about the culture and the society that it's like they're, they're, they're either, they feel guilty, they feel embarrassed taking more time off, even, you know, than they, they, you know, and then they have like their set period of time and they have to take it all versus they can take whenever they want off. Yeah. Well, it's, it's a, a really uh, clear um, parallel to the decriminalization conversation yeah. where one says, if you make it available to oh, everybody yeah. uh, without any um, caveats, then um, will it increase the use or will it uh, make it normalized and therefore uh, less dangerous? Hmm. And I would say another thing is um, just like if you that's one way to solve an issue that that we're having as a country, right, which is like intense expectations of overproductivity without space Mm -hmm. for, you know, um, everything else in life. But I think I think what you were saying with the um, Startups Unlimited uh, vacation time, they're not really it doesn't sound like they're really like 
lessening the burden of productivity expected of right. people, right? right? So, yeah. so there's still this, like, push to be accomplishing so much, and maybe uh, that, that doesn't really fit in with the rest of life. Right. So, yeah. 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 I mean, maybe the conversation needs to be more around what are the expectations of productivity and, yeah, how are we, how do we value our time and our lives? And um, that's actually, yeah. yeah, there's a note um, in Metro New York where I was doing some research for this um, so that apparently since 1973, uh, American workers' productivity has risen more than six times the rate of workers' wages. Um yeah. So, like, how does something like that, first of all, happen? Like, how do we let that happen? And then how do we fix it? I mean, this is a good step, right? Paid time off guaranteed for, for, for sure. almost everybody. Um, but then when you look at this, this small uh, push for some small victory right. uh, in the Six light times. of. Yeah. yeah. And in the light of the fact that certain like uh, CEOs and corporate executives salaries have skyrocketed they literally there was i was reading something about how um elon musk's like salary this year or bonus this year or something like like they're they like new york times or some outlet always does like a, mo- a chart showing ratios right. and they had to they had to totally change the model or change like expand the size of it because right. his was like be of the highest ever like above and beyond anything. right yeah, yeah. If you increase the size of the fold-out wall poster yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 1973. yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah it's crazy yeah um, all right, cool. So I wonder if this is a good time to take our first break. Sure. Before so, uh, yeah, well, I guess we'll start. We'll uh, take a short break and return with more discussion of the news. Stay tuned for discussion of the latest shooting, an alarming rise in deaths of gray whales and the DHS's latest scandal. We'll be right back. It's just a restless feeling by my side. Early dawning, Sunday morning. It's just the wasted years so close behind. Watch out, the world's behind. There's always someone around you who will call It's nothing at all Sunday morning And I'm falling I've got a feeling I don't want to Nothing at all. 
Welcome back to Objection to the Rule, Radio Free Brooklyn's weekend radio uh, news hour. We just heard Sunday morning by the Velvet Underground. Before the right, (laughs) (laughs) it's only right. Yes. Uh, Before the break, we were discussing some really exciting initiatives in the state: protecting sex workers, ensuring paid time off for workers, and uh, and um, upgrading student. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. (laughs) Um, and we were going to talk about, as well, uh, an upgrade to student Metro cards. So definitely look into that. Uh, some really interesting initiatives going on this uh, week and in the coming months. Um, in this next segment, we're dealing with news of a darker nature. Violet, are you there? I am. Can yeah. you walk us through some of these stories? Sure. Um, so uh, this Friday, uh, we had another, unfortunately, mass shooting in the United States. Yeah. Um, a, uh, what um, authorities are saying now is a, um, a disgruntled former municipal city employee uh, at, in Virginia Beach um, uh, shot up a, a building. He went through all three uh, floors of the building where he was formerly working, and um, he killed uh, at least 12 people and seriously injured uh, several more. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it, as the details emerge, I, I feel like I go through the same things every time. You know, at first it's shocking, still somehow, still horrible. Right. And then I just, it just feels like, uh, it just feels like this cycle of hopelessness. So that was my first question for everyone. What is our reaction at this point? You know, I think we we have a re- we have to keep talking about it. We have to keep reporting it. It's still happening, but I just I don't even know what to say. Yeah, and I think I mean honestly, my fr- I saw the New York Times alert, and I literally just showed it to my room my roommate, and like was like, of course, like and like like almost rolled my eyes, but like not like it doesn't. It's just like. Like, of course, this keeps happening. Yeah. And because it does feel like right. hopeless. And it, that's a really good point. We have to keep talking about it like it's not just normal, like normal. And <laughs> it's it's normal. really interesting yeah. that the conversation has changed from, oh, my God, like, what are the motives? How did this happen to how are we still not dealing? How do we even react to something like this that has become so cons- such a consistent part of our lives? Mm-hmm. I mean, Basically, week in and week out, we are dealing with multiple deaths in shootings. There was like, I, by, it was like either the other day or last week or something, I saw something where it's like we were 150 days into the year, and like so far there have been 151 deaths due to gun violence or something like mass shootings or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's just, it's it's unclear what to say, what to do, you know, both as it's sort of the just people in the United States, but also um, as 
maybe people who work in an office, you know, we're, we're, we're always in this situations where there could be, you know, we could be uh, victimized, we could be involved in some way. And um, I was wondering, like, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a story we've heard before, both in fiction and unfortunately, re reality, this mm -hmm. sort of disgruntled, uh, uh, wronged worker who, um, who, uh, take some sort of revenge, you know, who, uh, who targets people in his mm -hmm. former workplace or her former workplace there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm wondering, like, you know, obviously <laughs> it's, a, it's a gun control issue. Sure. Mm -hmm. Like I right. think many, many people agree on that point, but I think we're not there yet. You know, we're not there yet in terms of gun control. And, um, I think Virginia is a country where there are more open gun laws uh, than, I mean, a, a State than other states. Um, so I'm wondering, uh, is there anything, should there any, be anything that um, employers do or can do to sort of de-escalate tensions um, it, wow. uh, as a proactive measure, if that makes sense? That's a really interesting question because it's it kind of brings up like is, is, I mean, the idea of like offering resources to people you fire, like doesn't sound that bad, but it's also, right. right. It's like, maybe like, like, you know, but it's also this thing where it's like, is that just because we're afraid they're going to come back and kill us? And is that, right. that, that seems like that's it also seems crazy. You just completely change the way we, we deal with like employer employee relationships, but also like, um, also seems like, okay, maybe that's not like, if you get fired, that's huge for you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that anybody who is let go or terminated from a job should have some uh, some resource that is offered or extended to them um, that allows them to transition into whatever their next thing is. Mm -hmm. I think that a lot of times people are let go and just left empty-handed without yeah. any... Yeah, I mean, there's severance pay, right, which happens, right. but like that only gets you so far... And not every place will yeah. offer a yeah. severance package, yeah. so or um, a, a, a like a sustainable one for right. as long as it takes, only right. to find right. a new job. Right. Yeah, but but then and it, the other thing, of course, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, the the other thing is um, mental health support or mm -hmm. just counseling. You know, I think a yeah. lot of times when there are major transitions, workplaces will offer counseling. Um, as, as I think, as you know, as a um, cover your ass measure, you know, just a way to make sure that nothing happens. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think anyone would do that in a um, employment severance situation, but maybe they should. Maybe right. that would be another way. Yeah. And, you know, not to play devil's advocate, but, <laughs> but to bring like... in uh, this, <laughs> a similar conversation that we've been having all day when we argue for the effectiveness of decriminalization and mm -hmm. legalization in so many other uh, facets of our life, how, uh, how do we justify the banning of weapons? And are we taking the wrong approach? Uh, or, you know, yeah, how do we justify that approach when in every other facet we are arguing for the decriminalization and the expanding of access to uh, everything else? That is a very oh, a interesting, interesting question. question. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. Good job. Um, you stuck that up on us. Yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not on the script. Um, I mean, I think there's always the question of, um, you know, who, I mean, there's always like who is being hurt by like who, who, what is the potential 
um, bad versus personal freedom that can come of an issue, right? right? So, like, um, two people having sex is not the same as someone with an automatic rifle who can take down 40 people in, two min- in like, a min- two minutes. Um, right. And it's that – but it's that pros-cons thing. I mean, it's also – but what you bring up is, like, it's all those larger issues, right? Where, like, these states that are, like um, – you know, like you get a gun, you get a gun. Sorry if you die in your office is also like, well, no, you can't have an abortion. Like, you know, it's it's whose lives are value being valued here, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that also uh, it brings up uh uh maybe the the criminalization of gun ownership avoids the deeper rooted issue of what Violet was talking about with mental health Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. how we uh, value workers like we were talking about earlier with the paid six time or paid paid leave of any kind. I think that's a it's you know I I think every conversation about mental health it's it's very important and it should can be continued to happen no matter what but I also think that um, that's a, a lot of politicians default on like, oh, it wasn't the gun. It was the guy with the gun. But it's like, no, but like he couldn't have killed 40 people in two minutes with a knife. Like, Absolutely. you know, um, yeah. it's it's both. It's all of those things. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. But um, Max, yeah, like the, it's a really good point. And it's something I think we're seeing a little bit on the side uh, of all these national conversations. Um, I think we've seen it in media a couple of times with um discussions of the Me Too movement, you know, that uh, women, some women want to carry a gun, want to feel um, right. feel that they can defend themselves, you know, in a uh, harassment assault situation. And the other thing is, um, it, it's not really my story to tell, but when we um, when we spoke about this a couple of years ago on the show, um, Ori, our uh, founding host, um, mentioned that, uh, you know, some people whose family growing up had guns and um, people in the black community feel uh, they need to protect themselves and they feel more comfortable uh, at home, maybe in a more uh, rural situation or any situation Mm -hmm. um, if they have means to protect themselves and their family. Yeah, I mean, it is a tragic situation, but in a lot of communities, uh, the help that you're going to receive is not going to respond right away. Uh, response times of emergency services can be extraordinarily long, yeah. and a lot of people rely on their own community to uh, protect and serve, as you know, as the saying goes. Uh, and so, how do we balance the needs of those communities of people who feel the need to protect themselves uh, in an, and and arm themselves uh, for protection or whatever um, with the need to protect those who are are unarmed mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and just right. going about their daily lives. I mean, I think that there's uh, endless debate yeah. that is going to be ha- held yeah. on that conversation for sure. Woof. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, should we? Yeah, I think we should move uh-huh. on to the next one. Uh, Violet, you had uh, brought in a story about scientists investigating a spike in the the number of deaths of gray whales. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, So scientists on the West Coast of the United States uh, are um, beginning to investigate um, uh, an unusual spike in the beaching uh, deaths of gray whales. Uh, They're coming up on shore. Uh, 
looking sort of emaciated um, in much higher numbers than um, had been previously the case. Uh, about 70 have come up so far this year. Wow. Um, and it's, you know, it's interesting, actually, uh, because um, in discussing this, um, uh, the population of the uh, gray whales had actually risen uh, over the last couple of decades, uh, over the last 10 years, it like rose pretty exponentially. And um, even back in 1994, I believe uh, this species was taken off of the endangered species list. So that that's maybe something that I wasn't expecting to hear. Um, but in any case, they're looking into it. And um, so like, you know, I'm not a specialist in marine biology, but when I hear these stories, when I hear uh, about populations of wildlife animals uh, threatened or uh, turning out uh, dead, you know, um, I <laughs> I have almost a, a primal reaction to it, you know, especially uh, in the light of the recent UN um, extinction report. Um, right. So I'm I'm. I just wanted to start off the conversation with what does this bring up for us when we hear about like a, a, a particular um, animal population that's being threatened? A, a panic attack. Right. <laughs> climate change in general for me. Yeah. Um, it's, it's scary, right? It's like almost, it feels apocalyptic, right? The, the, the view, just like the mental image of each, like, you know, de- like tens of, Dozens of beached whales yeah, on a coastline. And at the same time, I have a similar reaction to seeing headlines of shootings. I mean, right. Since I was a kid, these news of, uh, you know, increased numbers of endangered and extinct species, those stories have been pretty consistent and constant. Um, And it has almost become something I expect to continue in inevitably, um, which is really sad. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's something that I, I feel that way too. I've always been hearing these stories, you know, I think environmentalism is a movement started way back in the seventies, you know, right. uh, in a it's major way in the U S. Um, yeah. so like, our entire lives we've been hearing, you know, there's a hole in the ozone layer, um, more and more land is being developed, and that's just a constant backstory, but now we're starting to hear, uh, you know, maybe maybe our resources uh, aren't as unlimited as we kept expecting, so, and I think that, I don't think we're talking about it enough, um, mm-hmm. you know, in media in general, you know, it's still yeah. kind of a background story, but I think the only way we can sort of change is uh, by making it more of a um, more of a main narrative. Yeah, I mean that question of resources too, and and just how can a capitalist society like you know it's just like the idea there's always they always have to make something and be selling something, and like it's right. it all seems very like related, right? Like sometimes like ever since I started paying attention to issues like that, like I'll go into like. A target and just feel like like kind of overwhelmed of the amount of stuff yeah. that's not really necessary <laughs> right um you know right totally just yeah, yeah that- and like packaging material yeah. you know it's everywhere uh and i think i think possibly part of the reason why these stories are getting a little more urgent in the mainstream media and um 
it's becoming more of a urgent concern might be, uh, you know, in the era of Trump when he's actually reversing a lot of these environmental yeah. policies, you know, taking us out of the Paris Accords. Um, but uh, I, I was, you know, I was just traveling. I was in Europe and uh, these are countries, a lot of them in Western Europe, where uh, they are, they have been, you know, they have committed to wind back, walk back their uh, emissions and other yeah. things um, by, you know, agreed upon dates. But honestly, honestly, they're not, they're not doing perfectly either with that. You know, I think like it's, it's going to be, have to be like a whole, um, a whole societal shift, you know, a shift in our thinking. Yeah. And yeah. I, I, yeah, I'm not sure how we'll do that, but I think we, we'll have to if we want to stop. This, I know. I mean, what's you know. scary is like if people if people who are even in agreement with each other that something needs to change are struggling to change. Well, or, <laughs> what or, are we going to do? Or even as basic <laughs> right. as aware of the possibilities. Yeah. I mean, this past yeah. week, Trump's science, some Trump's environmental scientists released the environmental report that. Uh, also details the worst case scenarios of climate change, oh. which unfortunately are the ones bad. that are most likely given if we yeah. continue on this track. Yeah. And yet Trump's administration has said that going forward, uh, their scientists should not include the worst case scenario in their report because it is only going to stir fear in the population. So if we don't have all the information of what is possible how can we even uh, come to agreement on what needs to be done? I mean, you know, the situation is just dire and looking worse. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. Do we have time for one more national news or should we move on? I think we, we can do more? one more national okay. story and then we should move on. All right. All right. Um, so uh, this week the um, DHS's Office of Inspector General, which is a Washoe group, um, I made a report on the conditions in um, a uh, immigrant detention center in El Paso, Texas. Uh, and the report said that uh, in addition to just uh, inhumane conditions in general, there's severe overcrowding. Um, people were standing on toilets for air. Um, I think the capacity of the center was 125 in total, and there were 900 people there. Right. Um, and uh, it's just, um, oh, and uh, people had been waiting weeks and weeks for trials when you're not supposed to be uh, held for more than 72 days uh, without a trial based on 72 the hours. standard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Se 72 hours. Yeah. 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 Um, so, uh, yeah, this is also very distressing. We've got a pretty distressing national news week. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think um, this is not the first, this is not the first report. This is not the first um, news that we've heard about uh, really dire conditions in uh, immigrant detention centers. Right. You know, we know that our country is doing this right now. Um, so, but... I think I think that this report had particular impact, and I'm curious if you guys think so too. I'm I'm wondering if why we think this came out now. You know why this uh, Washaw group put this out now, and if we think that it has an impact. Interesting. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, yeah. I I definitely think this report is having uh, more impact mm -hmm. than uh, a lot of the stories that we've been seeing come out, um, including the deaths of multiple mm -hmm. migrant children in government custody. I mean, the fact that that didn't do it uh, and that we've come to this is uh, horrifying. Um, but I think that, you know, seeing pictures and video of these centers where people, like you were saying, are so crowded in that they have to stand on the toilets, uh, which, you know, uh, prevents people from using them, for example, um, is is reaching that uh, that breaking point for most folks. And, and I hope so, because this is just a, an absolutely disgusting situation. And I think that it's important to point out that uh, we are seeing rising numbers of migrants mm -hmm. right now, which may be the reason that um, that the report was uh, was um, greenlighted and pushed through. I think that it was some like a hundred over a hundred thousand people came into the U.S. in April alone, and we are expecting that number to be higher in May and probably higher in June. I mean. This is an increasingly desperate situation, and I worry that the desperation will push uh, Congress and other governing bodies to um, act rashly. Uh, Trump, Trump, the Trump administration has requested four point five plus billion dollars to deal with the border crisis, uh, which uh, is a broad term. Mm -hmm. um, but we know that his um, allocation of the money would be towards security measures, including increased uh, agents at the border, um, increased uh, security measures in terms of uh, the technologies employed at the border itself, mm -hmm. um, increased uh, defenses on whatever barriers exist or increased barrier construction. Um, and not being spent on services and for the immigrants, the right. migrants who are being held in detention. None of that yeah. is going to be alleviated. He doesn't care about that. No. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it. this is also happening, uh, you know, I think right around the time or I don't know how long ago it was, but Trump said he's going to start taxing Mexico, yeah, putting tariffs on Mexican goods if they don't that. stop, you know, they don't it's like. Yeah. So it's. Maybe that's really timing wise. That's all happening around the same time. Um, yeah. All right. I yeah. think it's time for one more break before we do a brief overview of some things happening on the world stage. Yeah. Stay tuned for that. Let's take a little uh, music break before we dive in. Well, all right, 
was Trouble Comes Running by Spoon. Um, and we're back on for our last segment of the day. Right, so I think we're going to uh, move on to a little world news. Uh, we don't have much time, so I think we'll just dive into this one story. Um, King Salman of Saudi Arabia gathered 21 Arab nations in Mecca to unite in a common position against Iran. The Six-Nation Gulf Cooperation Council and 21-Nation Arab League uh, presents uh, all of those nations present called for Iran to stop, quote, interfering in the internal affairs, end quote, of its neighbors and denounce Tehran's, quote, threat to maritime security, end quote, in the Persian Gulf. King Salman admitted that quote, failure to take a firm position against the Iranian regime, end quote, in the past had led to, quote, uh, had, quote, led to the escalation we see today. Um, I think that uh, this is all complicated by a simultaneous initiative that this uh, council uh, decided on to call out the U.S. and other nations for moving their uh, embassies to Jerusalem um, in an effort to legitimize uh, Israel's claims um, to Jerusalem as its undisputed capital. Um, how are we viewing this as, um, you know, how are we viewing this in relation to the U.S.'s interactions with the region? 
It's complicated, um, for sure. And I think, I mean, the the fact that you, the U.S. and Saudi Arabia have like an alliance, despite you know human rights issues, makes it so co- complicated, right? Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, on one side we have the uh, the unification of the uh, entire region mm-hmm. um, and uh, the alignment of that unity with the U.S.'s policies uh, to criminalize Iran's activity. And on the other side, we have the entire region coming together to call out the U.S. for its moves um, in the Israel-Palestine conflict. And then a third side of it Mm -hmm. is, as you're bringing up, the relationship that the U.S. has with certain specific countries that are notorious for their human rights violations. So how is this summit uh, changing or shifting the relationship that exists in the region, um, and how is it affecting the relationship that the U.S. has to these countries? Uh, I mean, it's going to be interesting to see for sure. Um, I I mean, I wonder... Did they? Did the U.S. I mean, did the did the? Do you know if the coalition called out the U.S. specifically when they talked about Iran, or was that a separate? They did not. Uh, as far as I'm aware, mm-hmm. they did not really address uh, the U.S. involvement right. in the Iranian situation. Yeah. But they did specifically yeah. call the U.S. out for its moves in yeah. uh, ratifying Jerusalem right. as Israel's capital. I mean, I as a like someone who's looking at this from the United States, right? right? That is my perspective on this whole thing. I, um, it's, it, it, the U S is always looking at, you know, thinking like, Oh, we got to solve this problem and, you know, take in it. It's not, <laughs> Oh, it does not always work out well. No. Um, I mean, it's, I mean how this plays out, it can play out in so many either terrible ways or, um, productive ways, you know, ideally, um, but it, it the fact that the U.S. is not involved and it's the nations themselves, like in that region themselves, talking about right. it, feels um, better than icky, right? It feels <laughs> it feels like it's a low bar. It's but. a low bar. But um, but I guess the the question yeah. there is uh, is it wise for King Salman to agitate uh, regional unity against Iran right. at a time where the region is so unstable, where there is already so much conflict? I, that's and that is the question. I mean, but there, it look. I mean, twenty one nations, if they can, if they rally to you know for one common issue, that might be stabilizing. I don't, you know, I mean, that's, that's saying a lot. I don't know. Right, right. right. But that, that feels... Coming together you know, for the purpose of <laughs> against possible a common war. enemy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I know. Um, but, yeah, it's it's so tricky and so complicated. The region has been, you know, unstable for my entire life. It yeah. feels like, I, you know, I it's so... It, I, it's like, who am I to, to predict how this unfolds? But there's a lot of players in, in play. Violet, what do you think? Are you going to weigh in on this for us? Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think that I, th- I think that in all of the areas that the U.S. is involved, you know, the, uh, Iran and um, the, U- the uh, U.S. embassy in Jerusalem, um, <laughs> it's not it's not the best. It's probably destabilizing uh, yeah. in several yeah. different ways. They're definitely destabilizing. I think it's not the worst thing that um, that the U.S. is not so involved in these yeah. things right, right now. I think that. <laughs> It's a coalition of the nations and 
cause, because they'll be most affected by whatever happens next. Um, and then um, the other thing is, I think this idea of um, an extended Arab Spring happening, you know, a lot of these uh, nations um, that didn't necessarily have um, representative government. Um, uh, that w I mean, that was a conversation in spring of uh, 2012, I think, which is now along uh, many years past. But a lot of the countries that didn't have like overt revolutions at the time are still watching their neighbors and considering um, how they might change their governments now. So it's really interesting to see um, see how the politics changes these things happen. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if anything else, I worry that this uh, moves us one step closer to war. But we will definitely be following up on this uh, in weeks to come, uh, looking uh, forward to a hopeful de-escalation at some point. Yeah. But um, yeah, um, well, I think it's about time to wrap up. Uh, you've been listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, where objection to the rule. I'm Emily, and Max and Violet were here today. Um, thank you so much, guys, for a great discussion. Yeah. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, one last note is that uh, Radio Free Brooklyn's four-year anniversary party is coming up. Whoop, whoop. Yeah. Uh, on June 14th at the Tradesman in Bushwick. So anyone nearby, come check it out. Um, all right. Yeah. Have a great day, everyone. <laughs> great we'll day, see you next everyone. week. All right. Away. I had my brown sound jacket, queen of golf left on my arm. She was my garment down, she was my good love charm. She was my good love. Here it come running, here it come running again. Ah, trouble calling.